The Anton Savage Show on News Talk. A bruising uh, political period over the last couple of weeks, beginning with a bruising period for Fine Gael in relation to Pascal Donoghue's um, expenses and what he had stated and what he hadn't stated, and finishing with a bruising experience for Sinn Féin as questions asked about your own funding. Well, I don't feel very bruised, if that's any consolation to you, Anton. Um, First of all, with respect to Pascal, I still think there are very significant questions to answer and we'll obviously wait with interest the outcome of of Sipo's uh, inquiries there uh, because he still hasn't answered the really fundamental questions around whether he deliberately withheld information about what is essentially a, a corporate donation in kind in order to, to conceal the fact that he may have breached the overall spending limits. But we'll, we'll see how Sipo handles that. Uh, our stuff is very sloppy. Uh, it is predominantly relatively minor administrative errors, but there has been a number of them. SIPO uh, has corresponded with us. We have corresponded back. We believe we are still fully compliant in terms of electoral limits, etc. And why uh, was it sloppy? Um, I, look, I, I, there was a number of elements of the returns where, I mean, there was one case, for example, where there was two invoices. The invoices were above board, they were paid, but the invoices were sterling invoices. And when the returns were put to SIPO, uh, uh, they were recorded as as euro amounts. Now, again, it doesn't have impact on the, the spending limits. We're fully compliant with those. Uh, but it clearly is, is not very professional. Um, Mary Lou has instructed head office to do a comprehensive review of how all of that is done. Of course, uh, she had to her own sure. issues with the Jonathan Dowdle um, contribution. I, I, I wouldn't say issues. I mean, Jonathan Dowdle, over a decade ago, uh, uh, before anybody knew he was involved with what he was involved in, uh, made a donation of t- to the party that was recorded. It was fully compliant with SIPO. There's a question as to whether that money should be refunded or not. That's a political charge, but there's no issue in terms of SIPO compliance with the donation. Um, uh, and again, while I'm not excusing uh, the errors that we made, and like I said, uh, I think they're very sloppy, there is no question whatsoever that we have breached any spending limit. Uh, we're now fully compliant. That is a world away from Pascal Donoghue, who still hasn't explained, for example, the full value of the donation in kind from the businessman in question and whether that put him on the wrong side uh, of the ele- election expenditure limits. That's a very, very serious issue and very, very different to administrative errors. I don't want to dwell too much on this because it's not the reason that you're here and we're here to talk about housing. But one final thing on that, I would have thought (coughs) that um, Sinn Féin, given the fact that you straddle two jurisdictions and given the fact that there is a fundraising capacity in the US that many parties A lack and B might envy, I would have thought you would look at it and say, we better make sure that everything is squeaky clean because people will look into this. I I agree with you completely. Uh, And I have to say it's very sloppy. Um, uh, what I will say, however, is we are now fully compliant with all of the SIPO rules. SIPO, uh, uh, again, as I said, had asked us for to clarify a number of matters. We've corresponded with those. And if there are any other outstanding issues, we'll deal with them and we'll deal with them uh, quickly. As I said, we are here to discuss um, housing. Uh, the uh, Minister for Housing, Daryl Breen, appeared on News Talk Breakfast yesterday. And for the first time, I think, in a long time, the, the general sort of mood music from the interview was one of positivity. Here's some of what he had to say. Well, look, I looked at the IBEC report and a lot of the things they've called for actually in housing for all and that we're doing, like the provision of affordable housing, making sure the first-time buyers can get into the market, like we'd 25,000, over 25,000 drawdowns by first-time buyers in mortgages last year. Now, there's no question, like, we weren't going to turn around the housing situation in, in a year. Housing for all is only a year old. But what I can say is the outlook is, is positive. If you look at the completion figures last year, just short of 30,000, 29,851 new homes, up from 20,000 the year before, and well ahead of target. Okay. Now, you know, so what I'm saying to this year as well, we, we have a challenging target that I believe we'll hit and we want to exceed it.
Well, let us set aside the assertion in there that housing for all is only a year old as if it was the first shot at solving this problem. But nonetheless, the minister there effectively saying for the first time they're on track and things are the way they should be. Well, first of all, this government has been in office for two and a half years. They're actually halfway through their term of office uh, and in those effectively three years of, of public housing supply, uh, Darrell Bryan has missed his social affordable housing targets every single year. Last year, uh, as far as I can see from the figures we've got from the department, not a single affordable purchase home was delivered uh, and the number of affordable rental homes, the cost rental scheme is way below target. Uh, uh, but the numbers on the total quantum, I mean, he's saying that the completion of new fa- of new homes, which is 29,851, is in and around the 30k that was aimed for, which has a trickle down effect because it creates supply for everybody, which has to be a good thing. It, it doesn't have a trickle down effect. You're absolutely right. Uh, the private sector exceeded their, their targets, uh, albeit those targets were very low. But keep in mind, the Housing Commission uh, uh, research that was leaked to the Irish Times last week actually shows that right now uh, we need at least 40,000 new homes a year plus uh, because the government's targets are slightly massaged uh, to underplay pent-up demand. But the issue of the social affordable housing targets can't be dodged because we have a growing homelessness crisis and we'll talk about that in a second. For three years in a row, government has significantly fallen short of social housing uh, delivery. The targets were too low in the first place. And that's the primary reason why homelessness is rising. Likewise, an increase in supply in and of itself doesn't uh, uh, create affordability. Now, can you just explain that? Because I would have thought at first glance, if you say, well, look, there is an increase in supply. What that means, therefore, is there is a lower pressure on cost that makes housing not affordable housing, but it makes housing more affordable. It gets people out of the rental market and that everybody moves up one in the bed. You say no. And the problem is the evidence that we have to date says that that's not the case. Uh, so, for example, even though uh, we've seen a, a very modest increase in overall supply, Uh, we're still seeing house prices rise, rents rise, levels of homelessness rise. Uh, But what's also important is when you look at that overall level of supply, you also have to look at, well, what, what is being supplied? A very significant number of the homes that were delivered last year, as like the year before, are one-offs. They're self-build and predominantly in rural areas. And of course, they provide housing for the people who build them. That's very important, but they've no impact on price or supply in the market. Likewise, uh, uh, of the rental stock that's being supplied, a but lot can't of be it 30, is... There 30,000 self-build one-offs, though. It's about 20 to 25% of the new supply last year, as it was the year before. It's very, very significant. But there's still 75%. There's still three quarters sure. of it, which isn't that. Uh, uh, the second area, then, is a very, another large portion of it, we don't have the final figures yet, is high-end build-to-rent. Uh, and the difficulty with that, of course, is uh, it doesn't provide any level of affordability or even something approaching affordability. Uh, And then the third thing is the actual amount of homes into the market for people to purchase appears to be remaining relatively stagnant. Lorcan Sir from uh, Technical uh, University Dublin has been talking about this quite a lot. Year on year, it's about 6,000 new what we call estate homes into the market. So the supply of purchase homes actually isn't increasing. So what that means is in the round rents and house prices aren't going to fall uh, because of that supply. Uh, and in fact, what we've seen uh, quarter on quarter is increases. But crucially, unless government is delivering a sufficient volume of both social and affordable rental and affordable purchase homes, uh, uh, we're not going to see an end to this crisis. And I go back to the Housing Commission's report. Even if the government meets those targets, that 30,000 to 33,000, 
the Housing Commission, an independent body, is saying that is not going to relieve the pressure because actually the government's targets are too low. I've been saying that since this plan was produced and I said it when the last government's plan was produced. If you don't fully understand the level of need that's out there, particularly pent-up demand and particularly pent-up demand for social affordable housing, even when you meet your targets, it's not going to have the kind of impact Obviously, that the minister claims. given the, the uh, ideology of Sinn Féin, <coughs> there is a, a natural focus on the social and affordable end of things. However, you must accept that on the other side, the provision of housing at a non-social and affordable level, just a straight private sector market, is of vital importance. Absolutely. I mean, we have IBEX saying that our economy hinges to some degree on our capacity to house the workers who come in to keep that sector going. You don't regard any of the numbers as positive in that context? No, let's be very clear. For, for, first of all, every new home that's delivered, whether it's social, affordable or, or private, is a good thing, right? Uh, but we also have to be honest with people. But also keep in mind, when we talk about affordable housing, that's housing for households who are earning 85,000 or less. So in fact, it's the majority of working people. Um, and therefore, uh, in response to IBEC, and actually the second recommendation of IBEC's report is a Sinn Féin policy, which is that 20,000 public homes, uh, something the government says can't be done and shouldn't be done. Yet IBEC Can you just say that slower till I say for the, the unique situation of IBEC and Sinn Féin in agreement? But it's an important point because for a number of years, even before COVID, industry, whether it was the Dublin Chamber of Commerce or, or, or others, were saying that there's a large group of working people uh, who are on modest and above modest incomes who aren't eligible for social housing and can't afford private rental or private purchase. And we're urging the state to step in. One of the reasons why we've been proposing a much larger investment in particularly affordable purchase and affordable rental is because we know the market private developer market can't meet that need. They're meeting other needs and that's important. So I'm not surprised that IBEC is is echoing what Sinn Féin has been saying for a number of years. The ESRI two years ago, you'll remember, uh, uh, much to the discomfort of the government, said something similar. So actually, <coughs> it, 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 it's not that it's an issue of ideology. There is a need there that the private developers can't meet. The state can this government isn't making the appropriate levels of investment, doesn't have the requisite targets. And that's really the main reason why the affordability crisis is actually getting worse, not better. When we're talking about crisis, the other major pressure across <coughs> on accommodation, and it is it is housing and broader accommodation, is the refugee um, situation that we're seeing. And reports that possibly as many as 8,000 hotel rooms that were previously likely to be available won't be as the tourism market returns and economic forces get hoteliers out of that market. In respect of that, how concerned are you about that as a standalone situation and to what degree do you think it will impact on the broader housing crisis? So let me answer the questions in reverse if you don't mind. It, it won't have an, an impact on the broader housing crisis and this is really important for people to understand. The state is not providing housing uh, either for people fleeing the war in Ukraine or people seeking international protection from other parts of the world. They're providing temporary accommodation generally through hotels, through converted buildings, through modular uh, and as we've seen through some tent villages. <clears throat> and they're doing that uh, uh, deliberately so that it doesn't have an impact either on social housing supply or, or private rental. And that's a really important distinction. So we need to fix the housing crisis uh, uh, on one side. What's really concerning about the government's mishandling, in my view, of the provision of, of accommodation uh, for people seeking international protection or fleeing war in Ukraine is the absence of a plan. It's been patently obvious since kind of halfway through last year that they weren't really putting in place a serious plan. So we had talk of some modular temporary accommodation 
it hasn't uh, 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 been delivered to date and it is again uh, delayed. We had talk of the conversion of large uh, uh, vacant buildings for uh, multifamily use. Uh, a list of 95 buildings was provided by the Department of Housing and virtually none of those have been uh, refurbished. Uh, and there has been an over-reliance on hotels and exactly as you say. And what do you attribute the cause for that not occurring? My, my sense of it is, and I've met Roderick O'Gorman about this a number of times, uh, I've met many of the NGOs at a high level who are assisting government. What I haven't seen is a whole of government approach where various governments sit down at a very senior level and map out that plan. The irony is the government gave itself emergency planning powers both with respect to accommodation for Ukrainians and other people seeking international protection. They've hardly used any of those. Uh, and the, the difficulty is is that <clears throat> because the housing crisis is getting worse and the homelessness crisis is getting worse uh, and the government was talking up its efforts with respect to Ukrainians and other people seeking international protection, uh, that then created a kind of a, a misunderstanding and a tension and that's kind of undermined social cohesion a little bit. But actually the government is making exactly the same mess of tackling the, the temporary accommodation crisis uh, 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 for people seeking refuge in the same way as they're making a mess of the homelessness crisis. And what they need is a coherent, proper plan, use the powers that they have uh, and provide good quality temporary okay. accommodation for people uh, while either their claims for international protection have been assessed or Indeed. while they're seeking refuge from the one, war in One Ukraine. final thing, just to get your view on, where you talked about the um, social cohesion. The protests that we have been seeing in areas, there are some who are saying, well, they are effectively real community grassroots protests into which members of the far right have um, inveigled themselves. And there are others who are saying this is astroturf. This is the far right using this issue to drive an ideology that is damaging. What's your take? Well, both of those things are true. Um, um, and but which is the predominant factor? So, uh, and keep in mind, I've had protests or there have been protests in my own constituents in Clondalkin. My, my read of the situation on the ground is there's a very large group of very regular local people who are concerned on the one hand about the government's failure to address issues that affect them and their families and communities like housing and And are they being used by the far right? Let me me answer the question because it's it's important to get it right. They have genuine concerns around those issues and they also have genuine concerns about the lack of government engagement with them in terms of the provision of temporary accommodation for folks seeking international protection. Uh, And I think the government could do a much better job in dealing with all of that. Separately, there are a very small number uh, of, of very active and very vocal political activists. These are people from far-right political parties who, in my view, are trying to play on either genuine concerns or fears that people have in communities or concerns and and fears that people have in communities because of the vacuum of information from government. Uh, But they have nothing to offer our communities. They're dealing in hate, in division, in racism. And are they dealing in them successfully, in your view? Um... If I reflect on the experience in my own community, right, where I I know best, the vast majority of people I talk to uh, uh, have no truck with the far right and don't want to be any part of that. But I do think, uh, and again, um, there's been some, I think, important commentary in some of the papers yesterday today about this. I think the government needs to do much more in terms of talking to communities, engaging with communities, and at the same time, if they made a better effort of tackling the housing crisis and the healthcare crisis, etc., they'd resolve some of that. So what I what I would say to people in communities who have those concerns, work with us. Let's resolve those issues. And if you're angry with the government, put the focus of attention on the government. Don't be protesting at, at reception centres. Don't be protesting where people live. 
refugees and the people seeking international protection did not cause the crises in this country. Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael did. And the sooner we get them out of government and get a government for change, the better for all of us. Owen O'Brien, thank you very much. That is Sinn Féin's Owen O'Brien, who is, of course, a housing spokesperson for uh, that party. The Anton Savage Show, Saturday morning at 9 on News Talk.